turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 14 this morning. We are 14 chapters deep, obviously, into the book of Romans. It has been a book we've been in since April of 2017, as best as I can recall, and looking back at my records, and in that time, in that length of time, and in that many chapters and sermons and life events, it can be easy to forget some of the things that we've talked about before. Where have we been? And so I want to draw your attention to a couple important sections contextually for what we're looking at this morning. We're starting a new section this morning, Romans 14.1, that really goes through chapter 15, verse 13. It's all one big section in which Paul is focused on the issue of Christian liberty. And what does it look like to live out the freedom that we have in Christ? What, what does that look like? How do we practically do that in everyday life? How do we do that in a way that, that allows us to function as the body of Christ? This is an important issue for Paul. We think about the freedom that we have in Christ, something that is close to his heart and something that he understands deeply. If you'll just recall, and you don't necessarily have to flip there, but just recall that in Romans 7, verses 4 through 6, we hear some, some true statements that he talks about theologically, that he states that we have died to the law through the body of Christ. We are released from the law. Then one chapter later in Romans 8, 1 through 8, you have an extensive section on the freedom that we have in Christ, that we truly do live in freedom. We have been freed from the bondage of the law and of sin. Romans 8, 1 through 8, we read an important statement, again, contextually for what we're going to deal with this morning, this important truth that the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So these are kind of important texts, important segments in Paul's letter to the Romans. We've, we've talked to you about the fact that in Romans 1 through Romans 11, Paul was kind of doctrinally focused. He was focused on theology. And so you have these two sections that are theologically focused, giving us the truth that we are free in Christ. Now, we come to Romans 14, 1, and he applies the truth of these two texts. He applies the truth that we are in free we are free in Christ, and he deals with the difficult task we have of now living as God's people together, in a local body particularly, being free in Christ. How do we live our lives for Christ with the freedom that we have from Christ? Which kind of brings a question to my mind. Why in the world is it difficult for us to live free in Christ? Why, why is that something that would be an issue? Why is it something that that God would say, Paul, I want you to address this. Of all the things that Paul could address to the Roman Christians and all the things that he had written that he wanted to apply and work out in a very practical way, why is it that this living in freedom in Christ is something that must be written about? Why is it something that we come to this morning to study? I think the reason is this, is that most of us love rules. We, we like boundaries. We like things to be very clearly defined. Some of you thrive on rules. It's like, I want a rule for everything in my life, right? 
But I think all of us, wherever we come in that, we like some type of guidance, some type of boundary, some type of rule. I, I think back on my days at Sawney Elementary, playing on the playground with all the dangerous playground equipment that I somehow survived, right? But in the midst of all the dangerous equipment that was out there, you know, we played, most of all, we played two different games, I think, that I can recall. One was just simple freeze tag, right? And it really didn't matter. There was all kind of variations. The other game was pickle. Has anybody ever played pickle? Pickle's a very simple game. You have two bases. You have two throwers. And you run back and forth from the bases, and you don't want to get tagged or hit with the ball. That's all the rules that are required, right? Now, you always had this one kid on the playground, right, who added rules. Well, you can only, we, we hit each other with the ball playing pickle, okay? Um, usually not a baseball, but whatever ball we were using, we were trying to hit each other with it. Well, you can't hit here. You can't hit them in the head. You can't hit them below the waist. You can't hit them in the arms. And it's like, what? You can't hit them if they're past the base. You can't, and it, you're thinking, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden, this game that we loved became a game that was just frustrating, right? It was frustrating, and typically, all these rules did what? They benefited who? That kid, right? The kid that's saying, hey, this is what you do. Oh, wait, 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 that's not the rule. We're doing this. Like, what? That's not the rule. It just benefits him, right? And all of a sudden, there's frustration. There's irritation. The game is not fun. And arguments ensue, right? You've got kids on a playground arguing over this silly game on a much grander scale. That's what Paul's addressing in Romans 14. He's saying the same thing. It should be quite simple that we have been released from the law of sin and death. We are no longer bound to that. We have been given freedom in Christ. We have liberty as Christians. But yet some will come in and say, no, wait, actually it looks like this. And actually you need to be doing this. And actually this is what should be happening. And we forget the beautiful truth of the gospel that all we do is we live free in Christ because the one who repents of his sin and trusts in Christ is indeed justified before God. And he who is justified before God is free in Christ and free to live for God. I, I wanna, you don't need to turn there, but before we get into Romans 14, I just want to read Galatians 5, 1-6. I want you to hear this, another truth in a time when, when Paul is working this issue out for the Galatian Christians. He says this, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul, Paul's dealing here with this foundational statement again of what it means to be free in Christ. And, and he's calling the Galatian Christians to, to look to Christ alone, to be justified by faith alone, not to try to be 
find their justification in any works or deeds. Particularly for them, it was circumcision. So he's calling them away from legalism, to trust him, to not follow a false gospel. Because we are free in Christ. Which brings us this morning to Romans 14, 1 through 12. We've heard truths from Romans 7, Romans 8, Galatians 5. Now let's read how this works out in our everyday life as the body of believers. Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might be Lord, or that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, we're stopping here today. I want you to be mindful that Paul continues his teaching on this topic all the way to 15, verse 13. We will cover that in the next two weeks. But this morning, what I want to do is I want us to to just look at three points, three observations, three kind of main thrusts of this passage and what we can learn from it. Okay, There will be three points. One, we're going to look at an admonition from Paul, and then we're going to look at the temptation that we face as believers. And then we're going to look at what is the glue that holds us all together in the midst of it. Now, before we do that, I I just want you to understand that that Paul is writing this to believers. This text is, is a bit different from the Galatians text because when he's writing this text, he's writing and he's not confronting heresy as he was in Galatians. In Galatians, he's pretty hard on them. He says, you foolish Galatians, why have you gone after another gospel? He's not dealing with those who are 
leaving a false gospel, those who are heretics. He's dealing here with believers, sincere believers. He's not saying this is how you as believers live among unbelievers. He's simply saying this is how we live out our Christian freedom in such a way that it builds up our fellow believers. That's what he's doing all through this whole section. So let's start this morning with our first point. An admonition that we should receive from the Apostle Paul from the Lord. The admonition is this, that the people of God must not quarrel over disputable matters. Disputable matters. The people of God must not quarrel over disputable matters. This is verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now we see right away that the first thing Paul does in verse 1 is that he distinguishes between those who are weak in faith, as he describes them here in this verse, and then what he would later describe as those who are strong. He'll, he'll use that in 15.1. In this passage, it is understood that he's describing weak and strong. And what you need to know first is this, is that for him to say weak in the faith is not speaking down at someone. It is not saying that there are some here that are less important than others, that the weak are not as strong, they're not as good as the others. No, it simply means that we need to understand that the body of Christ is made up of people who are at various places in their process of sanctification, in their journey of faith, in their relationship with the Lord. As they walk and they live out their relationship with the Lord, some in here are weaker than others, and rightfully so. Some in here have pursued Christ and followed Christ longer than I've been alive. And I would hope that you are growing and mature in Christ. And so it just simply means we need to be aware of that. It also means that, that the, the church is not reserved for the spiritual elite. It's not like you have to come in here and you have to reach this certain theological requirement to be sitting in this room. That, that's not the case. There, there is, if that's ever the case, if that's ever the perception, then no genuine fellowship will exist. No genuine fellowship exists when people feel like they have to pass a test to get in and to achieve a certain level to be there. And so that's not the case either. You simply have to be a born-again follower of Christ to be here as a fellowship of believers, as a member of the church. That's who you have to be. That's how we come into the people of God. It's not by meeting a big uh, three-hour exam of theology, right? So there are weak, there are strong. The final thing I would say it means is this, is that we need to be aware that our actions do indeed impact and affect those around us. There are weak and there are strong. We need to understand that our opinions, our thoughts, our words, our actions affect them. We, we won't talk much about this this week because we're going to get there next week. But with that said, the stronger, if you are stronger in your faith, if you are mature in your faith, you have a certain responsibility to your brother and your sister in Christ who is weaker in the faith. And that is clear throughout Scripture. Right? We'll just leave that for next week as we talk about what it means to live in a way that you are not a stumbling block to a weaker brother. The second thing we see here when and the admonition is this, is that we must not quarrel over opinions. We must not quarrel over disputable matters. We, we all have opinions, don't we? 
I mean, some of you have a very strong opinion this morning about what I'm wearing. Some of you don't like bow ties. Some of you think I should be wearing a suit coat today. Some of you think I shouldn't be wearing a bow tie and I should be up here in jeans and a polo. I, I don't, it doesn't bother me any of those, I don't guess. But we all have opinions. Which one's the most important? Which one's the strongest? Which one should hold more weight? You see, those don't really matter at the end of the day, do they? And that's what Paul's dealing with here. He's saying, listen, we're not confronting heresy here. (laughs) These are disputable matters. These are opinions that we're talking about. See, what we see in the New Testament is when the gospel is in question, when the gospel is at stake, Paul and the apostles are quite bold. They stand up for the truth of the gospel. But when the gospel is proclaimed, Paul is really quite gracious. Now, I think the, maybe the, the, we see this at its at 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 zenith in Philippians 1, where Paul says, listen, this is served for my advancement of the gospel, and some, some preach the gospel for ill will to do me harm, but some preach the gospel out of a, a loving heart, and you know what, I, it's okay either way, honestly, as long as the gospel is proclaimed. Uh, you talk about generosity. There's some generosity because Paul is primarily concerned that the gospel, the truth of God, is being proclaimed. And so here he's saying, listen, the, the problem is, is we cannot come and we cannot quarrel over opinions. What, what Paul's concerned is, is, is how easily we elevate our opinions to be standards and rules and laws so much so that we demand and defend them at all costs. I don't really care what you think, as long as you hear and you know my opinion. Because my opinion is more important than yours. That's what he's concerned with. He's concerned with the fact that in our day, I would say there are people in our culture who they can put something on Facebook, they can put something on Twitter, they can write an article, and there are Christians who look to them and go, oh, that's their opinion, that's the gospel. They've said it. That ends it. Listen, if there is anyone in your life who, if they say something and it is gospel truth, you've got a problem. And that includes me. You you can't give that authority to anyone outside of God Almighty and the truth of His Word. God's Word is the only one that has that authority. So it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how highly you esteem that theologian. It doesn't matter how highly you esteem that preacher. If he does not preach something that is in the clear word of God, that's his opinion. And it submits to the word of God. It submits to the word of God. That's why you need to examine what is preached from this pulpit against the word of God. And not against anything else, but against the word of God. Not against your opinion or anybody else's opinion in here. Against the Word of God. That is our standard. That's the rule. That's what we accept. And he says don't quarrel over those opinions. That's a timely word for us today. Because we live in a day in which we log on to whatever social media platform it is that you prefer. And you look and what do you see? You see... God's people throwing mud at each other. 
You see, God's people seeing who can shout their opinion the loudest. You see, God's people speaking ill of someone else who does not agree with them. You look and you see someone post something and you see a thread of people who then also claim to be Christians just throwing them under the bus, shouting accusations, quarreling. But yet, Scripture says that the world should know that we are His by our love for one another. And it is hard to see that someday. That is, that's grievous. And I would ask, if, if that's you, if that's your habit, if you're in on that, or you thrive on that, or you enjoy that, I would ask, do you not understand that the world is watching? Do you not understand that Twitter is not private, Facebook is not private? That people who are looking to see what the people of God look like, how the people of God act, how the people of God respond, how the people of God love one another or don't love one another, are watching and just going, I want nothing of that. That is nothing different than what I see in Washington. I certainly don't want to go to that church. We must not quarrel over opinions. It abounds. It's everywhere. It is in our culture. Everything that is stated is quickly combated and argued. And we must not allow that to come into this place. We must not allow that to creep in. Because it's easy, if that's what you consume your mind and your heart with all through the week, it is very easy to come in here and to hear somebody else's opinion and be ready to go at them. But you know what? Galatians 5, 14 to 15, we, we read, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We must not quarrel. Titus 3, 9 through 11, we hear this, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Or we read in 2 Timothy 2.4, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins, who do you think? The hearers. It ruins the hearers. What's the benefit of quarreling over opinions? There is no benefit for the kingdom of God. The admonition is that we not quarrel over opinions. And I think a good reminder is wisdom that I received years ago. That opinions are like armpits. We all have them. Most of them stink. We do well to just remember that. What's the temptation? So we have the admonition, the temptation. The temptation is to judge how other believers work out their freedom. To judge other believers and how they work out their freedom. Paul, Paul gives us two examples here in the text. One of eating certain things and second of esteeming certain days. Right? So, so what, we, what we have here are various believers who are, have a varying range of convictions regarding what it looks like to live out their life in Christ. 
So some felt that all food was fair game, right? Some felt that you needed to be vegetarians, right? Uh, some felt that there was one day out of the week that was more important than every other day. And then some felt, no, they're all important days. We, all, we give God glory and honor every day. Here's an important statement, verse 5. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Each, each one should be fully convinced. It, essentially, Paul is just encouraging believers to live out their convictions as to what the Lord would have them do. Now, that's an important statement. What Paul's teaching us here in this passage is an important instruction that we cannot hold other believers to our personal convictions of what that looks like. I can't enforce my convictions that have no clear black and white teaching in Scripture on you. can't. If I start doing that, I'm going to walk really quickly into producing and leading a legalistic church. There is freedom in Christ. There is freedom in how we live out our faith. In in verses 3 and 4, it's clear. We're we're not to judge others. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. God has welcomed him. He's a a believer. He's a fellow believer. And he says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? (laughs) It is before his own master that he stands and falls. And he will be upheld. Why? Because the Lord is able to make him stand. It's not my, my job to judge every believer. Why? Because we look down and we read in verses 10 through 12, ultimately, we all know that we're going to stand before the Lord. So he's asking in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you? Why, why do you despise your brother? That's the, that's the result when we start quarreling over opinions is we start despising each other. Because I keep trying to get Mike to do what I want him to do and to live out his life the way he wants to live out, but his conviction is a little different, and, he, and we start going at each other, and eventually we despise each other. And he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, I mean, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Yes, live out your convictions for the Lord. But as you do, listen, we each need to realize that as we live out our convictions of the Lord, we will stand before the Lord. (laughs) There's a day we're going to stand there, right? So as I live out my convictions, I need to live it for the Lord, knowing full well that there will be a day that I stand before him. I stand before him. It is not my place to judge the way you live out your Christian freedom. Now, here's a question that comes to my mind, right? Is, is this not the same Paul who said things like, purge the evil person from among you in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Is, this, is, is, is Paul bipolar? Is Scripture bipolar? I mean, I don't understand. Is judge not Lest ye be judged, don't judge here, but then we're called to hold one another account. We're called to carry out church discipline. We're called to cast out the evil brother from among you. 
I don't get it. I, we don't have time to really dive deep this morning into a biblical teaching on judgment, but let me give you kind of three principles, three things you need to understand very quickly. We're not going to stay in these, but you can look at them later. One that we learn in Scripture, we are to judge unbelievers. Er, I'm sorry, we are not to judge unbelievers. That's not our place. I don't go walking around judging unbelievers. And we see that First 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13. Paul's very clear on that. It's not our place to judge unbelievers. That's the role of God. One reason for that is that unbelievers are going to act like unbelievers. Why would you expect them to act like anything else? If I was an unbeliever, I didn't have the presence of the Holy Spirit, I would be right there with them, and you would too. So that's not our place to judge. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we are to judge fellow believers. We are to judge fellow believers. We see this in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. We see it again in the same passage of 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13. Paul makes a distinction. We're not to judge unbelievers. We are to judge believers. Now, here's the big one for what we're looking at this morning. We judge, when we think about believers, we judge sin, holiness, not conviction. We judge sin. How do we know the difference between sin and convictions? How do we know the difference between what we should do and not and how we judge and how we don't? And that is what we should judge. That is what I should say, hey, Mike, I'm concerned about this in your life. Or something that I say, well, Mike just wants to live that way and I'm just going to be fine with that. A little different than I would, but go ahead, Mike. That's fine. That's you living out your Christian freedom. How do I know the difference? I would say this is a very profound statement. Get ready. You want to get out your pens and paper. Brace yourself, put your seatbelts on, here it is. Read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. If you want to know the difference between convictions and sin, then study God's Word. Where God's Word is clear, we stand firm. Where God is silent, we give grace. We must be a people of the Word. That's not just for standing against the influence of the world and false teaching. We must be a people of the word in how we live out our faith with one another. How we carry out our walk with Christ. Listen, this is not easy. It is not easy. I know. I know. And, and there are things that we have to look at God's word. And we have to gain wisdom and look at truth, look at principle, look at things that pictures that like in Acts where, where we see the life of the early church described. We see their practices described and we looked at things and we, we have to know the difference between what is described by scripture and what is prescribed by scripture. We have to look and see the difference in what God's word said, this you must do, this you must not do, and then the things that God's word is silent on. And that's hard. And it's only God's word that will bring clarity to that and help us work through that. And so the question is, in the midst of that difficulty, how in the world do we live in agreement as believers who have different levels of maturity, different opinions, and different convictions? How do we do that? How, how do we that have so many differences in so many areas live in unity, live in love, it's because we are same in one important area. We should be, as believers, same in one critical area. And that critical area is that we desire to live for the glory of God. We desire to live for Christ. This is the third point of our message today. The glue that holds us together. The glue is the common goal of believers to live 
for the Lord. And we see that in verses 5 through 9. I think that is the critical component of this section, that the glue that holds it all together, that allows me to look and say, you know what, you may see that a little differently than I do, but we can still work together and we can still stand together shoulder to shoulder and praise God and say, it is well with my soul, amazing grace, my chains are going, you are my living hope, to God be the glory, let's go and let's tell the world about Christ. We can do that because the glue that holds us together is our desire to live for Christ. We see that in Paul. We see that here. Verse 5 through 9, where the whole thrust is what? The Lord. You see it repeated seven times. Seven times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It's repeated over and over and over. Because the, the danger may be that, that I get focused on what I think, what I want, what I feel, what my convictions are, and I allow bitterness to creep in, resentment to creep in, disunity gets on. And so Paul understands that in verses, starting in verse 5. He calls us and he reminds us that it is Christ that we are to focus on. Verses 5 through 6, he reminds us that sincere believers often live out their faith in different ways. Is there freedom to do so? Is there freedom to do so? But look at why. He said, we looked at verse 5, each one should be convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of what? Myself? No, in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to who? To God. While the one who abstains the same in honor of what? The Lord. And gives thanks to who? God. You see? When we have a realization, understanding that each one of us are living out our freedom in Christ for the Lord, then I can function and live and fellowship and be completely in unity with my brother who lives things out a little different than I do because I know his desire is to live for the Lord, even though he says, you know what, you need to be a vegetarian. I think that's the best thing. And I look at him like he is crazy, right? There's no way I'm going to be a vegetarian. There's not going to be. But you know what? We love each other. Mike's not a vegetarian, but if he is. Are you? I've seen you eat burgers. Verse 7 through 9, Paul reminds us it's all about Christ. Both life and death are all about Christ. I mean, listen, Paul, <laughs> Paul drops like this theological dime here, right? I mean, he, he just drops this jewel, this little diamond, this beautiful nugget of truth. Verse 7 through 9, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, or we belong to the Lord. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. It's all about Christ. Life is about Christ. Christ is our hope in life and death. Christ is the goal of our life. He is our gain in death. It is all about Christ. That's why we read in 2 Corinthians 5.15, for the love of God controls us, Paul says, because we have concluded this. Now listen to what he's concluded, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all that. Here's the purpose. Why? Why did he die for all? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He says, listen, the love of God controls us. Why? Because Christ died and he rose. Why did he do that? So that we might live for him, not for us. 
don't live for me and go, you know what, I'm going to live out my Christian freedom because that makes me feel good because that's what I like. It's all about me and what I want. No, it's not about self. I live out my convictions based on what I want to do to glorify my God because my desire, my longing is to exalt His name. That my life is about Him. I exist to live in freedom from Him because I know that all glory is for Him, not me. Not me. So what joins us together is definitely not our common opinion on mask wearing. It's definitely not our common opinion on the way things should be worked out in Washington. It's not our common opinion on how we should dress on a Sunday morning. No, our opinions don't unite us. Christ unites us. So when you think about your convictions and your opinions, what is the goal of those? What's the focus of those? Is it Christ or is it me? Is it self or is it Christ? Are you looking at exalting God more in the way you live out your Christian freedom? Are you looking at being free and just living however you want to live to make yourself comfortable? Live for Christ. Live for Christ. Why is this passage important? Why is it important to think about not quarreling, think about not judging others' convictions, to make sure that we're living out our convictions for Christ? Why is that important? Here's the first reason, very quickly. Is it first the, the, the way we handle our differences with one another, our difference of opinions with each other, will have a definite impact on church unity? You need to understand that you may disagree with me on things, the way you respond to that disagreement that you have with me will have a definite impact on the unity of our body. I disagree with you on things, and the same is true for me. The way we respond will have a definite impact on the unity of our body. The second reason it's important for us to study this and think about it is that the, the way we carry out our freedom in Christ will have a definite impact on the spiritual growth of people around us. The way I carry out my freedom will have a definite impact on the spiritual growth of those around me, especially those who might be called or known as or, or be weak in the faith or a weaker brother or just immature. They just come to Christ. The final reason it's important is this. And I think this is big. That choosing to focus on either our opinions or our Lord will direct our hearts either towards legalism or towards the gospel. If you are so focused on your opinions and the way you think things should happen, things that are disputable, then it is going to push you closer to legalism. If you're focused on, you know what, I may have different opinions than them. My primary goal is not to live out my opinion or to enforce my opinion. My primary goal is the Lord. Then it will push you towards the gospel, the gospel of grace. As we close this morning, I want you to look at verse 8. I want you just to think upon verse 8 as we close. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. 
So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. Listen, you need to understand first this morning that we are to serve the Lord in all that we do. In life and in death, we live and we die to the Lord for Him. He's our hope. He's our goal. And so we have to ask, Christian, are we living our life to the Lord? Or are we living our lives to advance our opinions and convictions? Live for the Lord. But the last thing he says this, he says, so then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. This tells us that not only are we to serve the Lord, most importantly and primarily, we have to be in right relationship with the Lord. Do you belong to the Lord? Are you the Lord's? See, Paul's writing to believers, and he's saying, hey, we are the Lord's. So believers in here this morning, we say we are the Lord's, but unbelievers who would be sitting here this morning, I, I would just ask, what is your hope in life and death? Are you in a right relationship with God? Have you trusted Christ in faith? Let, let, me, let me tell you this. When, when the believer, the believers that are sitting here, when they hear the question, unbeliever, when they hear the question, what is your only hope in life and death? You know what goes through the mind of the believer or what should? Is that I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I, I, I belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's, what, that's what resounds in my heart. That's what should resound in your heart, believer. Verse 8, that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And so the question for unbelievers is, what are you hoping what, what, are you, what are you hoping? And listen, worldly hope is deceptive. It's, it's temporary. You can have hope as an unbeliever, but that hope is temporary. It will leave you. It will depart from you. It will disappoint you. It will fail you when the trials of life come. Listen, trials of life will come. And if your hope is in anything but the Lord, it will fail. It will be ripped away, jerked out from under you. But the hope of the Lord is, endures it endures why why because we do not only hope in life as a believer we hope in death why do we hope in death because we look forward to it no we do not look forward to it we do not want death i do not look forward to death but i know that my hope is christ in death why because he's conquered death because he has died and he has risen he has risen victorious over death so that we hear the words of paul in first corinthians 15 57 and say thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ so unbeliever what is your hope what is your hope i would call you to respond in faith to christ today Know the confidence of being able to say with Paul that whether we live, we live to the Lord. 
whether we die, we die to the Lord. Because whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. He is our hope. Because we belong to him. Body and soul, both in life and death, we belong to our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, great God, we worship you and we praise you today. We trust you. And God, living out our faith is difficult at times. Sometimes it's difficult because we're trying to live in the midst of an ungodly world, an ungodly culture. But God, there are times as we talk today that it is difficult simply because there are things that various ones of us are convicted about in various ways. Some because of past experience. Some because of sins that we struggle with, temptations we have. Some just purely preference. God, I pray in the midst of living out our lives free in you, that God, you would give us a strong commitment to you and to your word, that we would clearly stand on the things that your word teaches, that we would obediently follow the directives of Scripture. But God, where your word is silent, I pray that you give us grace with one another, patience with one another, understanding with one another. And I pray that that the, the desire of our church body would be so much to live for you, that we would look to each other, we would see that, we would trust one another, that we are living for you, and that we would have grace towards one another in that. God, keep us strong. Keep us as one as your people. And God, we thank you that whether we live, whether we die, we as your people belong to you. But God, if there are friends here today who do not belong to you, I pray that you do a great work of salvation in their lives and that, that they would look to you for salvation. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.